0: 60 mil per drop No, 60 drops 60 per mil And micro is the same they synonymous They're <laughs>
1: They're
0: no, no, no. Uh, it, which lady of yours is the weak one? The only one. And it advances with the wheel. And, uh, mm-hmm. stuff. Yes, the one that goes by itself. This is the weak one. That goes together. Yeah. And then I go like this, and now I'm on my bad one by itself, which is cool and the weekly back you. see how wide it is and it. That's better than having to go to here with you. you okay. okay. a You're quite at a light to okay let's start Endocrine wow. overview Endocrine glands uh, this, this lecture is going to be real helpful for HESI stuff because they love to test adrenals and uh, thyroids The endocrine overview is only going to be about thyroids and adrenals You do not have to know the thymus, the pineal, the... Uh, parathyroids you don't have to know all those just know your thyroid gland know your adrenal gland and you're good to go now if you don't know your thyroid you're in trouble if you don't know your adrenal you're in trouble so focus on what you need to know so let's focus on those two glands the first one is hyperthyroidism that I will talk about whenever Mark Clemick sees the word thyroidism he turns it into metabolism because that's what the thyroid does The thyroid regulates metabolism. So when you see hyperthyroidism, what do I want you to turn it into? Hypermetabolism. If that is true, do you see that now you do not have to memorize the signs and symptoms? They're just logical. What would be the logical set of signs and symptoms you would see if you had a high metabolic rate weight, weight, loss. weight loss so they're skinny and weight loss mm-hmm. what else well, what would their pulse rate be blood pressure uh, their personality irritable hyper obnoxious excitable life of the party for about five minutes till everybody gets sick of them uh, heat what intolerance and cold tolerance. So they can color- tolerate the cold because they're like a little furnace. They cannot tolerate the heat because they're already burning up. Exophthalmos. What's exophthalmos? Bulging eyes. X e x e x o h. P, oh wait, O-P-H-T-H-A-L-M-O-S. Oh, okay, I've it now. Yeah, I it. Uh, so it's basically, they're skinny, they're hyper, they're tacky, they're hypermetabolic. The person I remember this, this dates me to, you guys probably do not know him, uh, was a guy named Don Knotts that was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was he? He was. Uh, Barney
1: Fight. Barney,
0: Barney, Barney Fight on Mayberry. You know, the, the skinny little guy, Sheriff Andy Andy. He's always hyper, mug eyes, skinny, classic hyperthyroid guy. The name of this disease is Graves. G-R-A-V-E-S, Graves disease. Now, they will not tell you, they will not say Graves disease, hyperthyroid. They'll give you one name. And you're supposed to know Graves is hyperthyroid. The way I remember that is a saying my grandma used to say, which is, you're going to run yourself into the grave. What two words does that link? Run with grave. Well, if you're run, 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 run all the time, what are you? Hyperthyroid. So running yourself into the grave helps me remember it's hyperthyroid. Number three, the problem here is hyperthyroidism. So you have three treatment options. You have three ways to treat hyperthyroidism. Number one, radioactive iodine. Radioactive iodine. Now, there's two things you need to know about radioactive iodine. Number one, the patient should be by themselves for 24 hours. They should be in a room by themselves for 24 hours. And after that, they have to be real careful with their urine. They should flush three times. If they spill their urine on the ground, they need to call the hazmat team. Because somebody has to come with a Geiger counter to make sure it's all cleaned up. So if you have a patient on radioactive iodine for hyperthyroidism and they spill urine on the floor in the hospital, you can't call housekeeping. you got to call your hospital hazmat team and they come with all their paraphernalia. It looks really, really silly for them to go worrying about the urine. But that's where the radioactivity is excreted is through the urine. So this is the one place where they have glow-in-the-dark urine. Not really, but, you know, you have to treat it like it's bad. So the only risk to you, the nurse, for a patient who's had radioactive iodine is what? Their urine. And give them a private room in the first 24 hours. Okay, the next treatment we have is PTU. P-T-U. A drug. Yes. Would you get family visitation on that? Is that an issue? I've seen several API questions Um, with uh, with radioactive iodine. No family visitation in the first 24 hours. And if they go home, they are supposed to stay in the family room and nobody else, or they stay in their bedroom. Nobody else goes in for 24 hours. So there's a restriction of visitors, uh, home restriction. Okay, for 24 after 24 they can have all the visitors in the world as long as they don't pee on them <laughs> ok the second problem is PTU propylthiouracil <clears throat> propylthiouracil now I don't want you to memorize that PTU is propylthiouracil what's it used for? Hyper hyperthyroid so what must it do? to your thyroid. If it treats hyper, what must it do? Bring it down. So I want you to remember that PTU stands for puts thyroid under. Whenever you see PTU, what should pop in your head? Puts thyroid under, which tells you it treats hyper thyroid. Its primary use is for cancer, it's a cancer drug, but one of its special uses is for hyperthyroids because it will also put the thyroid under. So what do you think the number one nursing thing is with this drug, if it's a cancer drug? immunosuppression. So what count, what blood values do you have to watch when they're on PTU? Their white blood cell counts. So it puts the thyroid under and it also knocks down your white count. The most common way, however, that we treat hyperthyroid is surgical removal. We do a thyroidectomy. Thyroidectomy. We remove part of the thyroid or all of the thyroid. Now, if you want to get your thyroidectomy questions correct, you must pay attention to whether they're talking about a total thyroidectomy or a subtotal thyroidectomy. Because that's going to make a huge difference in your answer. If you just treat all thyroidectomies <coughs> the same, you will miss loads of questions. So what's the most important thing in a thyroid question, thyroidectomy question?
1: It's total or
0: sub. Now, I taught this one time, and a student called me the day after and said, what you taught didn't help on thyroidectomies. So I thought, okay. And I said, well, what didn't help? And she said, well, there was a different kind of thyroid surgery on there that you didn't cover. Oh, boy, that's interesting. Total, subtotal. That pretty much covers it for me. You know, I can't think of, you know, it's either total or it's subtotal. I mean, what, what third possibility could there be? And I said, well, well, what was it? And she said, it was a partial thyroidectomy.
1: <laughs>
0: subtotal is a partial. Total is a complete. So a complete thyroidectomy is a total. A partial is a subtotal. Now, she passed. <laughs> you know, so you don't have to be, you know, a real shining light. You just have to do some shining. You know, she certainly was not a shining light. Why did she make such a dumb mistake? She wasn't managing her anxiety. And she was looking for total and subtotal, and it wasn't there. She panicked, and she didn't say, now, wait a minute. Which of these is closest to what I do know, right? Because it may not say it exactly the way you want it. Remember the guy with the cracker and the carbohydrate, dry carbohydrate. You know, they'll say things differently than you learned them, but it means the same thing. If you see something on the test that says means the same as something you learned, but it's saying it differently, guess what? It is what you learned. <laughs> Don't say, well. That sounds like the same thing, but I didn't learn it that way, so it's probably not that. Oh, that is the worst thing to do. What, you should do the opposite. You should say, that sounds an awful lot like what I learned, which was this. It's not the same phrasing, but it sounds like that, so it must be that. Do you see the difference? Always assume that if they tell you something synonymous, it means the same as what you know. Don't assume it's something different. Always assume it's what you know. Okay. So, for totals. Totals need lifelong hormone replacement. Why? Because if I take your whole thyroid out, you don't have any. So you've got to have lifelong hormone replacement. Also, letter B, you are at risk for hypocalcemia. Why low calcium? Why after a total... Thyroidectomy, do you have a low calcium? Because it's almost impossible to spare the parathyroids when you take the whole thyroid out. So you end up with low parathormone, low calcium. So they're at risk for low calcium. What are the signs and symptoms of hypocalcemia? We talked about that last hour. Calciums do the opposite. So hypocalcemia is going to make everything go? up, so you're going to have tetany, spasm, irritability, clonus, seizure, tachycardia, hypertension, irritability, jitteriness, tremor, um, right? Okay. What's the first sign that's going to happen? Paresthesia. Paresthesia. Excellent. See, once you start learning enough, things start cycling around and it's all no news, no news, right? It's old news. What two signs will you have? Trivastex and trisubs. Because your calcium is low. Okay. Subtotal thyroidectomies, on the other hand, do not need lifelong replacement. Why? Because you got some left, and it's supposed to kick in. Might you be on hor- hormone replacement for a little while? Till that other one kicks in, then it's supposed to be off. Do you think you get the hypocalcemia much with this? No, because if you only take out part of it, you can spare your parathyroids and your calcium spine. However, what these people are at risk for is something that totals never get, and that is thyroid storm or thyroid crisis. Same thing. It also has another name, thyrotoxicosis, which sounds like a toxic thyroid so that sounds like hyperthyroidism to me thyroid storm now what are the symptoms of thyroid storm four really bad things number one super high temperatures of 105 and above number two extremely high blood pressures stroke category. So you're probably talking 210 over 180. Now, I'm, not, I'm just giving you that as a ballpark. That's, that's no set in stone number. Severe tachycardia, probably in the 180s. Could be as high as 200. And there again, that's just a ballpark. There's nothing magical about that number. And lastly, They are psychotically delirious. They have psychotic delirium, which we talked about before. (coughs) These people are in a medical emergency. This thyroid storm is a very, very bad thing because it can cause brain damage and brain damage is permanent you literally fry your brain to death with hypoxia and and our hypoxia so you must treat this immediately and what you treat it with is get the temperature down and get the oxygen up get the temperature down get the oxygen up well how do you get the temperature down? what's the first way you would do it?
1: Ice,
0: pack. ice packs. What's the best way? Cooling blanket. Because if you would pack him in ice without the cooling blanket, use the cooling blanket without the ice, which way would be better? Ice without the cooling blanket, cooling blanket without the ice. What's better? Ice. Cooling blanket without the ice. So the best is the cooling blanket. But what would you do first? first I'd put them in ice then I'd order the cooling blanket and have it right there so you see there's another first best difference and what would you what would you give the, how do you get the oxygen up oxygen per mask at 10 liters just as an interest note what's the problem with that order what's, what do you think you experience when you try to implement that order What's that? And these people are what? Psychotically delirious. So how likely is it you're going to keep an oxygen mask on this patient? Yeah, good luck. Good luck. So this is a medical emergency. You pack them in ice, order the blanket, throw a mask on them with high O2. And they will come out of it themselves without treatment or they will die. And there's nothing you can do to make it go either way. It's just when that T3, T4 gets out of their system, they'll be okay. We don't want to medicate them. Because if we medicate them, it could go the other way. So this is a self-limiting condition. All we're doing is sparing their brain until they come out of it. Now, I've seen this about five times in my career the longest lasted 12 hours the shortest lasted about less than 2 hours but when you're treating these people it's 2 on 1 meaning two staff for one patient you need an aide and yourself cuz you can't do it with just yourself yes what is tylo- Tylenol works in the hypothalamus and at this point the hypothalamus is is being severely uh, threatened because it's right near the pituitary and the problem with the thyroid storm that caused it was the TSH from the pituitary so that pituitary hypothalamic access is part of the problem that's causing this situation and Tylenol works in that hypothalamus and it's not going to work. Tylenol just isn't going to do it. So you really have to, you you know, pack them in ice. So you really don't treat a lot of it. It's, it's kind of scary because you're just sitting there, you know, doing what you can. All right. But I would say that good nursing care is going to save their life. Why? Because medicine isn't. Yes, Question.
1: First, ice pack, and
0: oxygen well, I mean, if you had to pick between the ice packs and the oxygen, I would do the oxygen first, the ice pack second, the cooling blanket third. Okay. But if I was between the ice packs and the cooling blanket, the ice packs go first. But I would always pick stay with my patient. Because you don't leave your patient to go get the oxygen. You see what I'm saying? But it's a perfect world, so it's sitting right there. (laughs) All right. Post-op risks. They love to ask you about thyroidectomies and post-op risks because it depends on the type of surgery and it depends upon the time frame. So let's talk about this. You've got to know this. You have to know this. In the first 12 hours, it doesn't matter whether it's a total or a subtotal. It does not matter. The top priority is airway. Because where's your thyroid? So if you have edema in the area, what's it going to press on? The airway, the larynx, so trachea, so you've got to watch out. Second big problem is hemorrhage, because it's an endocrine gland which has a lot of blood vessels. So the top two in the first 12 hours for both types of thyroid surgery are airway and hemorrhage, which is pretty much standard, isn't it? Okay, now where the difference comes in is in the 12 to 48 hour window. If they give you a patient who's longer than 12 hours but less than 48, now you have to pay attention to what type of thyroidectomy was done. Letter A, the post-op risks 12 to 48 hours after a total. The big danger is tetany, tetany due to the low calcium. For a total, they get the tetany because of the low calcium. However, letter B, the post-op risks 12 to 48 hours for a subtotal is storm. What storm? Thyroid. Thyroid storm. So you see where they're different? But they're the same in the first 12 hours, but different in the next 36. So, 12 to 48 hours after surgeries, what do totals get? What do subs get? Totals get tetany, subs get storm. Totals get tetany, and subs get storm. So TTSS, total tetany, sub storm. Total tetany, subs, storm. TTSS, When? 12 to 48 hours after surgery. In the first 12, what is it? Airway and hemorrhage, hemorrhage, airway, and bleeding for everybody. Right. What's the big risk after 48 hours, by the way? Infection. Right? How long does it have to be before you're allowed to pick infection as a high priority? At least 42 hours, we'd prefer 72. Here's the deal. Never pick infection in the first 72 hours after anything. So if they had a trauma and it's been 36 hours, would you pick infection? No. They gave birth to a baby eight hours ago. Would you pick infection? No. Never pick infection in the first 72 hours. You only pick infection after 72 hours, not in the first 72. Question. It's
1: 10
0: Tetany tetany is dangerous because your larynx can go into a tetanic laryngeal spasm, which would close the vocal cords in an irreversible spasm, which essentially cuts off your airway, and you die. Okay, hypothyroid. Hypothyroid is hypo. Metabolism. So hypothyroidism, hypometabolism, what are the signs and symptoms of a low metabolic rate? If your metabolic rate is really low, what would you look like? Obese. What would your personality be? What's that? What? Flat, boring, dull. Cold intolerance, heat tolerance. See, you cannot tolerate what you are. So if you're all, if you're cold, you can't tolerate. You have cold intolerance. If you're hot, you have heat intolerance. Do you see what I'm saying? So hypothyroids or hypos are always what? Cold. So they have cold intolerance. Hyperthyroids are always hot. So they have heat in tolerance, so you cannot tolerate what you are. What would the pulse be and the blood pressure be? Low. If they were a test taker, what kind of test taker would they be? Slow, extremely slow test takers. They tend to get lower grades in school, not because they're not smart, but because they can't process fast enough. It could even affect nursing practice in the sense that you don't think fast enough. Okay, the name of the disease is mixed edema. M-Y-X. M-Y-X. And then the word edema. That's the name of it. Okay, the treatment. Do you have too much hormone or not enough hormone? Not enough, so what's the logical treatment? Give them thyroid hormones. Synthroid. Levothyroxine. Number four, caution. Do not sedate these people. Why do you not sedate them? Because they're already super slow. You sedate them, you'll actually put them in a coma. It's called a myxodemic coma. So, what pre-op order would you question? With this hypothyroid patient, Ambien at H S, the sleeping pill before surgery, the night before surgery, because they don't need that. Now, what? Let's say. Let me ask you this: You got a hypothyroid client. He's on thyroid pills every day. He's going to have a open heart surgery. He's scheduled for it in the morning. Doctor orders NPO past midnight. you got a problem with that? What's your problem? Call it question, question what? That
1: they're holding the
0: <laughs> okay, because NPO means
1: nothing.
0: nothing, and nothing means nothing, including anything, <laughs> which would be a pill. So, nothing by mouth means they're not allowed to have any of their oral pills, which means you would not give the person their morning. Thyroid, which means they would be hypothyroid and very susceptible to any drug that would sedate them. Do you get any drugs during surgery that sedate you? It's called an anesthetic agent. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you would follow that order and not give the thyroid pill the morning of surgery, what could likely happen to your patient? Never make it off the table they would die from these depressant effects of the anesthesia. So you as a nurse would never hold what pill before surgery without express orders to do so? Thyroid pills. Never hold your thyroid pills unless they tell you to do it. And even if they told me to do it, if I called the surgeon and he told me to hold the thyroid, what would I do? I'd call the anesthesiologist. And if he said, hold it, what would I do? I'd call the head of the anesthesiologist, my supervisor, and say, hey, look, this is not cool. Now, my supervisor should what? Contact the supervisor of the anesthesiology and say, hey, look, what's going on here? You see, you, you, you aren't supposed to go up the ladder outside your department. You go up your department and they go across. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Uh, if I really felt it was unsafe, I would, ju- I would refuse to follow. I would just refuse to... I, I don't know. If I, you understand? If I thought it meant a patient dying, how far would you go? You know what I'm saying? If it was your dad, how, what would you do to keep him from going to surgery? You'd lay down on the floor and not let them get the card over your body. You know what I mean? So I'm just saying, would you do the same for your patient? Okay, enough said on that. Adrenal cortex. The second gland we're going to talk about, the adrenal cortex. Interestingly, adrenal cortex diseases start with either the letter A or the letter C, which are the initials of? The
1: adrenal
0: cortex. Adrenal cortex. So, could Graves be the adrenal cortex? Could myxedema be the adrenal cortex? Could pheochromocytoma be the adrenal cortex? Could Cushing's? Kahn's? Addison's? Corticoinsufficiency? Adrenal insufficiency? Yes. So, all of those diseases start with an A or a C. Now, I didn't say that all diseases start with an A or a C, our adrenal cortex, because asthma, you know, obviously, (laughs) no. All right. Addison's disease let's start with Addison's it starts with an A it's under secretion of the adrenal cortex under secretion what are the signs and symptoms? just two things you need to know they are hyperpigmented what does hyperpigmented mean? very tanned Very tan. So they look what many people call healthy. But they are the farthest thing from it. Because the second thing you need to know about it is these people do not adapt to stress. They do not adapt to stress. Because their adrenal gland is under-secreting. So if they undergo any stress at all, what could happen? What's the purpose of the stress response, I might ask? What's the purpose of the stress response? Not to increase the metabolism, necessarily. Although it will. That's what mediates it, but that's not the purpose of it. That's what it does, but that's not what the purpose... What? Okay, And, and but what's the big... When, when you are under stress, there's a threat... To your brain. And the purpose of the stress response is to perfuse the brain with blood. In other words, support the blood pressure. And give the brain glucose, which means raise the blood glucose. So the purpose of the stress response is to raise the glucose, raise the blood pressure. Does everybody understand that? Your stress response is supposed to raise your glucose and raise your blood pressure. That's what it is. Its purpose is. If these people do not have the adrenal cortex to carry out the stress response, when they undergo stress, what will happen? Okay, what's the purpose of the stress (laughs) response? Raise the... And raise the... And if you've got a disease in that organ and cannot do that, what will happen when you undergo stress? Your glucose will go down and your blood pressure will go down and you'll go into shock like that. And it doesn't take much to put them into shock. In fact, these people have been known to go to the dentist, have a tooth-filled and they go into full-blown shock because of that stress, which wouldn't bother most of us. Um, if you ever work squad, these are the people that you happen on the scene of a little fender bender, and somebody's gone. No blood pressure, nothing. They're gone. And you think, well, they couldn't possibly have been hurt that bad. Well, what you'll search them, and what will you find? A really nice, really tan guy Wearing a bracelet, and what does the bracelet say? I have Addison's disease. These people, you look at them wrong, and they go into shock. No, not really, but I mean, you know, it's, they are your time bombs waiting to go. This is a very scary disease. You're okay until something happens, and then wham, they decompensate like that. Yes, rare. it's very rare. As far as endocrine disorders, it's one of the rarest. It's one of the rarest. It's like for every every, 600 Cushing's patients I would see, I see one Addison's. And that's probably being generous. I probably have only taken care of two or three Addison's patients in my entire life. Cushing's, you know, all the time. Uh, Kennedy was supposed to have had this disease, JFK. It was... Uh, rumored to have this disease so that means when he got shot what
1: there was no chance
0: there was no I mean even if he hadn't even if it had been now and if he, and it hadn't gotten hit in the skull if he had gotten like a, a shoulder injury now he might not have made it so it was and think about this what's really dangerous to people with Addison's disease stress you're the president of the United States. You know, it's not the best. He probably couldn't get elected right now. Because they would have made such a big deal of the med- You know what I mean? It would have just, it would have disqualified him. But it was hidden. People didn't know about it. So, what's that? He didn't seem very tan. Well, he was a little bronzer, though. When he, early years he wasn't. He was real pasty. But then he got tanned as he, as he went on. And then he started taking stories, so he got puffy. So the nice little puppy cheeks he had there near the end, that was steroids. That wasn't Jackie. Okay, um, well, what's the treatment?
1: Steroids.
0: Yeah. Give him what he's low on, which is what? Steroids. Not pump you off steroids, but glucocorticoids. All drugs that end in what? What do all steroids end in? beta betamethasone, beclamethasone, dexamethasone prednisone mometasone hydrocortisone flucordrosone so drugs that end in zones are steroids so what do so you give drugs these drugs to people in Addison's right so Addison's disease is it under secretion or over secretion
1: under.
0: Do you have to take something away from them or add something to them? And what do you add? A song. In Add a Sons, you add a song. And that tells you whether it doesn't add a sone tell you whether it's hyper or hypo sure because if you're adding it's what hypo and it tells you what drugs to pick anything ending in so so just remember add a sone you add a sone and that'll help you remember it cushings cushings syndrome this is over secretion of the adrenal cortex over secretion the way I remember this is: If you have a cushy bank account, do you have more or less money? More. If you have a cushy chair, does it have more or less stuffing? More. If you have a cushy tushy, <laughs> do you have more or less? More. more. Yeah, you got a whole lot more, right? A lot more. So, cushy just sounds like more to me, doesn't it? Cushing's, Cushy over, Addison's, you gotta add because it's under. I never forget which one's under and which one's over. Okay, now, the signs and symptoms of Cushing's disease, you have to know this. They will test this, and knowing this list gets you what we call two for the money. Which means, when you memorize this list, you're actually getting two things. Number one, you're getting the signs and symptoms of Cushing's, and number two, you're getting all the side effects of steroid medications. So when you memorize this one list, you're getting two things, Cushing's signs and symptoms and side effects of steroids. Any drug ending in? Some. So that's good for a lot of reasons. Now, I am going to have you remember this by drawing a picture of a little man. And I'm serious. I want you to draw this little guy over and over and over again until you draw him perfectly. Because if you can, if you can draw him perfectly, guess what? You know the signs and symptoms of and you know the side effects of any drug ending in so So here's what it goes. Now, this man is called Cushman. Okay, Cushman. Now, I'm going to draw a head, but don't draw the head real big because you need a really space for a really big body. Okay, so don't take up all your space with the head. Okay, the first thing on the head is you need to draw a moon face. Okay, he's got a moon face. And you say, oh, I can't draw. Okay, well, can you do this? That'll do be- <laughs> okay so draw a moon face whatever your skill set is just draw a moon face because that's the first symptom moon face puffy moon face then draw a beard on him what's the fancy term for excess hairiness on the body Close. Here suitism. Here's them. That means lots of hair. Here's okay. Next, draw a real big body, and I mean a big one. Put a bump on the front. Oh. <laughs> and a bump on the back put a bump on the front and a bump on the back now what's the bump Okay, let me ask you this first what's the what do we call the big round body obesity but a certain type of obesity truncal or central obesity they'll call it you see your arms and legs aren't, aren't fat it's just your body Your arms and legs are actually really skinny. So it's truncal or central obesity. That's the big body. What's the bump on the front? No. No, The buffalo hump is the bump on the back. Because buffaloes have a bump on their back. So that's the buffalo hump right there. This is the gynecomastia. Gynecomastia. Those are female tight breasts on men. They sort of wear the the bro. (laughs) If you remember Seinfeld. So you have gynecomastia and buffalo hump, as well as the central obesity. Now, I want you to draw a skinny, skinny arms and skinny legs skinny arms skinny legs because they have atrophy of those muscles those muscles waste away all right then i want you to fill him full of what what's that water so he's retaining what Sodium and water. He's retaining sodium and water. So what's he losing? Out the back, what's he losing? Potassium. He's losing potassium. (coughs) Okay, put some striae on him. What are striae? S-T-R-I-A-E Stretch marks. He has these stretch marks on his abdomen. stri Then, the most important one of all to remember, this is the most important one, put high glucose, if you have room. High glucose. Because this causes them to be hyper- Lycemic. they look like diabetics so if you're on a steroid and you're diabetic talk to me diabetic put on a steroid you need a lot of insulin. what's that you need, a lot of insulin. you need more insulin because the steroid is going to increase the blood glucose and you're going to go out of control What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want you to put bruises all over him. Because what does he do real easily? He bruises extremely easily. We're almost done. We only have two things left. The last thing is I want you to make him say something. You know how they have those little cartoon speech balloons? have him say something, and what he says is, I'm mad. I have an infection. I'm mad. I have an infection. Well, that tells you two things about him. What's the first thing it tells you?
1: Grouchy he's grouchy.
0: He's irritable. And secondly, he's immuno. Suppressed. So, if you ask me, Mark, what are the signs and symptoms of Cushing's syndrome, or what are the side effects of steroid meds? I would close my eyes. Why? I'd be picturing him, and I'd say, "Okay, uh, moon face, hirsutism, central obesity, gynecomastia, buffalo hump, retaining water, sodium, losing potassium, high glucose, wasting extremities, striae, bruising." Uh, irritability and immunosuppression and who did I describe Bushman. Bushman. I have this vision and I went down through and because you're going to see it one of the famous ways that people ask it is they'll give a person with an acute exacerbation of COPD in which they need solumedrol a steroid IV push every 8 hours to reduce the inflammation in the airways and it's a steroid And they'll ask, what nursing action needs to be taken when they're on this steroid? AccuChex Q6. Because what do steroids make your sugar do? Go up, even if you're not diabetic. And if you are diabetic, look out. Okay, so you got Cushman? I'm serious about drawing him, because if you don't draw him and don't learn him... Many of you in here are gonna say, "Oh, nuts!" when you get onto your tests because you're, you you're gonna wish you had. Okay. Now, what's the treatment? Well, the question is, do you have too much or too little here? Too much. What's the classic treatment for hypersecretion of a gland? What's the number one treatment for a hypersecretory gland? Yeah. Cut it out. So, adrenal ectomy. Well, what happens if you do a bilateral adrenalectomy, do you think? If you do a bilateral adrenalectomy, what does that mean? Do you have any adrenals left? So, what do you have? Addison's. Okay, now, think about it. Why did you do a bilateral adrenalectomy? What did you look like that made the doctor do a bilateral adrenalectomy? look like Cushman, right? So he did that to prevent that. But once you do that, you can induce what disease? Addison's, for which you give a steroid ending in Sone, the side effects of which now make you look like Cushman, which is why you had the surgery. So it's really frustrating. I mean, it is, it's like... It takes like a year or two to get them equilibrated back to where they're getting, feeling normal. And that's the problem with endocrine surgery, is the endocrine surgery creates the opposite problem which, for which you have to take the hormone, the side effects of which make you look like the thing you had in the first place. So think about, if you're hyperthyroid, high thyroid, thyroid now, What's the major treatment? Thyroidectomy. And if you do a total thyroidectomy, what do you induce? Hypothyroid, for which you have to take thyroid. thyroid pills. What are the side effects of thyroid pills? They look like Graves' disease, which is the reason you have the surgery in the first place. You see, end- any endocrine gland works that way. It's really <coughs> to these people and it takes years to get it back to normal. Okay, let's finish up for today. We have probably two things to do and we'll be done. Let's talk about toys on page 33. Kids' toys. Children's toys. This is a lecture about selecting the appropriate play activity or toy given the age of the child, generally speaking. Now, when you select toys or play activities for children, there are usually three things to consider. I'm just going to walk over here. I'll keep talking. Three things to consider. The first one, is it safe? The second one, is it age-appropriate? third one. Is it feasible? You have to make sure that the toys you're using are safe, age appropriate, and feasible. Sorry, my back's killing me. I can't stand anymore. Um, First thing, safety. Safety considerations when you're Thinking of toys, there are three things you have to consider with safety of a toy. The first thing is number one, no small toys for children under four. If you've got a four year old kid or younger, you should not pick a toy that has small parts they could ask for it. If they're over four, guess what? The small parts are just fine. So, four is your cutoff age for small pieces, parts, to toys. Second thing you consider for safety. Number two, no metal, M-E-T-A-L, no metal toys if oxygen is in use. If they're getting oxygen. Why?
1: Sparks.
0: Sparks. Does anybody know a fancy word they might use in place of metal? that means the same thing as metal? Diecast. D-I-E C-A-S-T. If they say a diecast car, they're talking about one of those little metal matchbox things. And that's a no-no if oxygen is in use. Third safety consideration. Number three safety consideration. And this is more vocabulary than anything. Write down Beware of fomites. F-O-M-I-T-E-S. Beware of fomites. Now you guys should be asking me, what in the world is a fomite? A fomite is a non-living object that harbors microorganisms. It has to be non-living, and it harbors microorganisms. By the way, just to see if you know your epidemiology. What do you what do you call a living organism vector. that harbors microorganisms? Vector. A vector. vector or a host. But this is a non-living, so it is a fomite. Fomite. Now, why in the world are we talking about fomites with kids? Toys are notorious fomites in a pediatric ward. They stick them in their mouth. The next kid sticks it in their mouth. I mean, it's, it's just really bad. So toys are horrible. Now, which toys make worse fomites than other toys? What toys are the worst fomites? Stuffed animals. What makes the best toy because it's unlikely to be a foamite, hard plastic what can you do with hard plastic toys that you cannot do with stuffed animals you know bleach them until they're dead you know what I mean you can terminally disinfect a hard action hard plastic action figure okay you can't terminally disinfect tickle me Elmo all right so, if you have a child that is immunosuppressed, what would be the best toy for that child?
1: Hard, hard a hard plastic
0: no. action figure. Alright, those are the safety considerations. Feasibility just means could you do it? And it's pretty common sense. For example, can a 13 year old, is swimming a good activity for a 13 year old? Is it safe for a 13 year old? Is it age appropriate for a 13 year old? Is it feasible for a 13 year old in a body cast? No. no. See, so feasibility can come into this too, but that's just going to be common sense. In other words, feasibility means could you actually play it with this child in the situation they're in? Okay, um, the next one is age appropriateness. This will take up the majority of the lecture because this is what they test mostly, is they want to know if they give you a kid of a certain age, what toy should you give them? So let's start out with the first year of life, infancy. From zero to six months of age, the best toy is a musical mobile. The best toy is a musical mobile because these kids are sensory motors. They are sensory motors. So the best toy is something that stimulates both motor and sensory. That's why the musical mobile is best. However, if the boards does not have musical mobile there, your second best answer is to look for something hard, meaning what? You know, something that can be dis No, did I say hard? Yeah. It needs to be soft right now. But it has to be large. Why large?
1: So they don't choke.
0: Why soft?
1: So they don't hurt
0: themselves. What's the problem? Well, what the problem is? What do you do with a three-month-old who is supposed to have soft toys if that three-month-old is also immunosuppressed? You see the treatment problem there. Boards won't go there because that that take you know that's a conflict. Of two principles, they're just happy you know the principles, period. So don't go there. But you do see the inherent problem in that, don't you? Okay. Um, now let's talk about the six to nine monthers. The six to nine month olds. These kids are working on a skill called object permanence. Have you heard of object permanence? What does that mean? Yeah. The idea that it's still there even if you cannot see it. For example, if a child does not, does not have object permanence, if I put their favorite toy under a blanket, what will they do? Cry. Because it's what? Gone. Into that, you know, third dimension, that eighth dimension, you know, never to be seen again. If a child has object permanence, and you put their favorite toy under a blanket, what will they do? Rip off the blanket and <laughs> grab the toy. You see, it's very different. Now, at six to nine months of age, your play should be teaching them that. That is the big task they need to learn intellectually. So you should play with them with toys and activities that teach them object permits. So, the best toy is what I call a cover-uncover toy. Cover-uncover toy. Now, I cannot tell you exactly what toy they will use. Okay? But I can tell you what kind of toy you should select. Mm -hmm. So, you should select for a six to niner, you should select a toy where you cover it up and then you uncover it. Then you cover it up. And then you uncover it. What is that teaching now? Objects, permanent. So, could you give me some examples of cover-uncover toys? Jack in the box. Those pop-up pals. Remember, you push the right button, then they pop up. Then you push them down. Then you pop up. And then you push them down. Uh, those books that have the little windows, and, and then, the, you know, where are the birdies? Oh, there they are. Where are the birdies? Oh, there they are. Where's the birdies? There they are. And you're covering and uncovering the little picture of the birdies in the nest. That's perfect for this age. Fantastic. Uh, playing peekaboo. Why? You're there, then you're not, then. You're there, then you're not, then. That's good. Uh, putting a blanket over your head and then uncovering your head and then putting a blanket over your head that's really cool that's, that's good and then what you do is they start laughing and then you stop doing it and see if they're learning because if they're learning they'll pull the blanket off and laugh if they don't they'll go <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know.
0: actually do you guys know much about dogs that's how you test the dog's intelligence Because one of the highest order cognitive skills a dog can perform is cover, is uh, object permanence. And if you throw a blanket over your dog and it just sits there like this, (laughs) you got a dumb dog. (laughs) If you throw the blanket over the dog and he goes, then you got a good dog. Yes, smart. So, you'll know how dumb your dog is tonight.
1: <laughs> Some of you are say,
0: I do that to my husband and he doesn't take off that. <laughs> All right, um, well, what's the second best toy if a cover-uncover toy does not show up? Something large, but it should be hard, firm. So you can make it of plastic, wood, metal. So how old does a child need to be before they're allowed to play with anything made of wood, metal, and hard plastic? At least six months of age. By the way, what is the worst toy in the world for a six to nine month old kid? The absolute worst toy. The musical mobile. What was the best toy for a kid before six months? The musical mobile. What's the worst toy for a kid after six months? The musical mobile. Why? Because now they pull themselves up, they sit up, and they strangulate. Many, many kids have had uh, strangulations or near strangulations from the musical mobiles that should have been taken out of the nursery months ago. Okay, uh, the next age group are the nine to twelve monthers, right? And these kids are working on vocalization. They're learning to speak. So, what kind of toys are best for these kids?
1: Thinking.
0: Speaking toys, talking toys, verbal toys. Now, I'm not going to give you a specific one because I don't know what they're going to test. But this is going to be like Woody the Cowboy. Teddy Ruxpin, Tickle Me Elmo, Slap Me Susie. I don't know them, all of them. (laughs) They're just sort of, you know, all those ones where you gotta what? You got a string, and you pull the string, and it says something. That's really cool. Um, See and say, Barnyard Friends, you know, the cow says move. Fantastic for this age group. Talking toys. What kind of books? Talking books. Really good for this age group. If we just talked about books alone, what's a good book for a kid under six months? Um, Stop booking and go what? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: what's a good book for a kid six to niner?
1: Um,
0: Picked window books. What's the best t- book for a nine to 12 or? speaking books, talking books. right. The other thing about a six to nine that's down here is purposeful activity with objects. Purposeful activity. In other words, how old does a child have to be before they'll do anything purposeful with a toy? At least nine months. So let me ask you this. Could a seven-month-old seven-month-old play with three wooden blocks. Could they play with three wooden blocks? Is wood okay? Because <laughs> they're over six months, they could play with three wooden blocks. Could a seven-month-old build a tower of three wooden blocks? Why? Why no? Build is a purpose word. And you cannot pick any answers that have purpose words in them until the child is at least how old? Nine months. So here's the deal. Never pick answers with the following words in it if the kid is under nine months. Never pick an answer with the following words in it if the kid is under nine months. So here are those words. Build. Build sort stack make construct why? those are purpose words and a kid does nothing purposeful before age nine months I tell people a baby's in the womb how long? nine months and it's another nine months after they're out, so they do anything purposeful. Prior to that, it's all random. Okay, let's talk about the toddlers, which are the one to three year olds. They are, the best toy for them is a push pull toy something that you push, something that you pull. Now, I don't know what it's going to be, but give me some examples of push pull toys. The lawnmower, the Pop-mower. wagon, the buggy, that stupid popcorn mm-hmm. pockery thing. <laughs> um, what else? Baby yeah, baby strollers. Strollers. yeah, baby strollers. The little dog with the floppy feet that you drag behind you. Mm-hmm. So, anything that they push, anything that they pull, fantastic for one to three year olds. Work on the gross motor skills. Work on gross motor, which is running, jumping. I always say, if it takes finger dexterity, no for the toddler. If you're sitting there thinking, now which of these activities could a toddler do? If any of those activities take finger dexterity, do not choose it for the toddler. Toddlers do not have finger dexterity. So could they use colored pencils? No. No. Scissors? No. Not even blunt scissors they can't use. So anything that requires finger dexterity is no for the toddler. The interesting thing is people have misnamed finger painting. Finger painting is not finger painting. Finger painting is hand painting. Can toddlers do finger painting? Yes, because it takes your hand, not your. Do you ever see a, a toddler go?
1: Yeah,
0: with their fingers? No, they go.
1: <laughs>
0: so it's hand painting, not finger painting. Okay. So they can. They can they do anything that takes finger dexterity? Yeah. No. But they can do finger painting, because finger painting isn't finger painting, it's hand painting. That's where people get confused. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, they're characterized by parallel play. Parallel, which means you play alongside, but not with. with. You play alongside, but not with. Okay, let's talk about preschoolers. The next stage group, the preschoolers. Work on their fine motor. So what do you pull out now? Things that take what? Finger dexterity. So you need to preschool is the finger dexterity. Number two, work on their balance. So, tricycles, tum, you know, tumbling class, dance class, ice skates, those are okay at this age. Don't put your toddler in dance class, gymnastics class, and hockey class. It's not going to work. When they turn preschool, they'll learn in two weeks everything they would have learned in two years as a toddler. So, it's a waste of your money. Yes? What about swimming lessons? Swimming is different because that's more gross motor. In, in some, It doesn't really depend on balance. So, infants should actually be taken for swim lessons because of safety issues. So, an infant should be taught how to swim. At least know how to be used to being in the water. At least. So, it's not a, you know, I would say probably, oh, well, I don't know what age. Anybody know the age where swimming is? <coughs> Zero to three. Mm-hmm. I I I was gonna say, was it, as soon as you walk, that's what I thought. The water. It's a okay. parent teaching class until they're in preschool. Once yeah. they hit
1: preschool, then they're
0: then they're on, then class, they're on their own. The group class. But I don't think there's any lower image limit. Uh, limit. I think, like you said, zero is what I know. Okay. Um. What else? Uh. Okay. They are characterized. Oh, work on balance. They are characterized by cooperative play. Cooperative play, which means what?
1: Right
0: again. As opposed to parallel.
1: <coughs>
0: parallel plays alongside but not with cooperative plays. with. So they play with each other in groups. They interact and play together. And lastly, they like to pretend. They are highly imaginative. That their pl- pretend play big. You know, you be the sheriff, I'll be the saloon keeper. You be the barmaid, I'll be the outlaw. You know, and you all role play. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. I always got to be the fool. I was the one with the wagon, so I was. I got to be the photo. Okay, I know you care. Okay, the next (laughs) thing is the school age. And the school age kids are characterized by the three C's they are creative. In other words, let them make it. Don't you make it and give it to them. In other words, would it be good to give them a coloring book and crayons? What would be better? blank paper and colored pencils because then they can create their own pictures rather than fill in the blanks you know Uh, would you give them plastic cookies plastic lemonade and plastic donuts and have them have a tea party no could they have a tea party yes but what would a school age what would you do with a school age they make the what cookies they make the lemonade they make the muffins and they have a you see what I'm saying uh, that's why Legos is such a good a- toy for this age group. Why? They're building and making. They're creating. You don't give them trucks and cars. and th- You give them things that they make into cars and trucks and that kind of thing. That's why Transformers is good because it, it, it makes the creativity and all. Okay. Um, second C, they are collective. They're always collecting something. Be- Be- Beanie Babies, Pogs, Digimon, Pokemon... Webkinz. What was the stupid one this Christmas? Zuzu Pets. Yeah, Zuzu Pets. You know, all that kind of stuff. And don't the toy manufacturers know this? Oh yeah. Remember about five years ago, Chris, I had girls. So, five years, six years ago, Mattel came out with Barbie and the not two, not four, not six, not eight, not ten, but twelve, dancing princesses. Because they knew that all the little girls would want what? Aww. All 12. So why would you give dance Barbie and the two dancing princesses? I mean, that's stupid. What a bad marketing plan. So, you know, go 12. You know, they'll buy them. So, you know, that's 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 choice. They know all this stuff. And lastly, they are competitive. Which means they like to play games where there's a winner and a loser. Now, they don't like being the loser. I never said that. But I'm saying that if you go over here to the fifth grade, to the nearest elementary school, and you tell them, we're going to play a game, what will they say? Yeah, cool, get out of school, play a game, cool. But if I tell those fifth graders, guess what? Everybody's going to win. Nobody's going to lose. We're all going to get the same prize. What will they say? Stupid game. game. (laughs) Give me the dumb prize and don't waste my time. But if I tell them, hey, we're going to play a game, $400 and a bike for the kid that wins. Oh my goodness, I'll have those kids doing all of them, tipping cows, you know. (laughs) They'll be doing everything. So, uh, they like competition. Now, what about preschool? Make a statement about competition in preschool. No, not unless you want a room full of screaming, crying kids. Who wins in preschool? And what do they get? The same prize. And I'm talking the same prize. Don't go in with orange lollipops and grape lollipops go in with one size one flavor and if they don't like it they don't get it don't go in with two you're going to have a Chernobyl (laughs) forget about it adolescents what's their play peer group association peer group association they want to what hang out with their friends hang out So do they do much?
1: Sleep.
0: Have you ever seen a group of teenagers? Uh, we, I have girls, so I'm suspicious as a father. So I'd build a rec room on our house so that the pool table and the TV and everything would be at whose house? Oh, Ours, so that all the people would come to our house so I could keep a little... Oh, I, don't, I didn't tell about the closed-circuit television in the... You know, i <laughs> <laughs> But they would all come over to our house. You know, 20 of them. And guess what they do? <laughs>
1: 20
0: of them. So I'd go in the room and I'd say, How about if we play bowl? Dad. Well, how about if we watch a word? Dad. So for four hours. <laughs> you know, and I go in and here's my daughter. Texting. And I say, Emily, who are you texting? Bethany? Bethany who? Bethany Wales? Emily? Bethany's sitting right over there. Yeah, I know. (coughs) We're texting each other in the same room. We've got all these boring teenagers doing nothing. I know. I know. I'm old. Forget it. Um, (laughs) They just hang out. Now, what's that got to do with nursing? Here's the deal. If they gave you a question where a gang of teenagers, five, six, seven, eight of them, were hanging out in one teenager's room, what do you do? Do you let them or not let them? Let them. You let them. Unless one of three conditions is happening. Here are the three things that would... Well, no, not what you're thinking. Um, Unless one of these three things is true, you let them hang out. The first thing is, if anyone is fresh post-op. In other words, if any one of those teenagers, adolescents, is less than 12 hours out of surgery, they shouldn't be hanging out. Okay. Second thing, if anyone is immunosuppressed, they shouldn't be, for obvious reasons, correct? And thirdly, if anyone has a contagious disease. So if you've got 13 kids hanging out in one room, unless somebody is fresh post-up, somebody is contagious, or somebody is immunosuppressed, let them hang out. Get over your control issues. Let them hang out. All right? Let's do the last lecture of the day, laminectomy. Laminectomy. What page? 38. 38. I'm not going to do lab values at this time of day. You'll go, your brain will go totally dry. Laminectomy. Lamina are the vertebral spinous processes and ectomy means removal. So, laminectomy. Ectomy means removal and the lamina are the vertebral spinous processes. Vertebral spinous processes. Now, what are the vertebral spinous processes? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt the bumpy bones on the back of somebody? You're not really feeling the body of the vertebrae. You're feeling that those wingy thingies out the back, those are the lamina. So in a laminectomy, do I remove the round bodies of the vertebrae?
1: No, No,
0: you'd be an invertebrate. If I did, that wouldn't be good. What I'm removing is those wing things out the back. I remove those. So we're just removing the posterior processes of the vertebral bones. Just part of it. Now the question is, why in the world did you do that? What's the reason for a laminectomy? The reason is to relieve nerve root compression. To relieve nerve root compression. Because sometimes when the nerve roots come out of the spinal cord, there's like calcium or herniated discs or uh, inflammatory masses pressing on them. And that causes problems. So we cut away that bone to give the nerve more room to exit. So it relieves the compression on the nerve root. Well, then, what are the signs and symptoms of nerve root compression? The three Ps. Pain, paresthesia, which means what? Numbness and tingling. And And paresis, which is muscle weakness. Pain, paresthesia, and paresis. Those are the three signs that your nerve roots are being pressed upon, for which we would do a laminectomy to remove those back bony parts so that your nerve roots can come out real nicely and not be pressed on. Now, when you get a laminectomy question, the most important thing to pay attention to is the most important thing that you pay attention to in any neuro question. Does anyone know what the most important thing to pay attention to in any neuro question is? Location. It is location. If you want to get a neuro question correct, pay attention to the location of the problem because the location will determine the symptoms. The location will determine the prognosis. The location will determine the treatment. Location is everything in neuro. There are three locations for laminectomies. They are cervical, thoracic, and lumbar. Cervical, thoracic, and lumbar. Cervical means the neck. Thoracic means the upper back and lumbar means the lower back. Now, I in the rest of this page, on the rest of this page, I'm going to illustrate for you how, when you change the location, you change the answer to the question. So let's talk about it. Uh, is the next one F or E? E. Letter E. What is the most important pre-op assessment for a cervical laminectomy? What's the most important word in that question? Cervical. Cervical. Okay, so the cervical spinal cord innervates two things. Diaphragm and arms. Diaphragm and arms. That's what your cervical innervates. So, if you are doing a pre-op assessment for a patient going for a cervical aminectomy, what is the most important thing you would check out before surgery? What? Breathing. Why? Cervical innervates the diaphragm. So breathing is number one. Check out their breathing. How are they breathing? Number two, if that is not there, if breathing isn't there, the next best answer is the function of their arms and hands. That would be your backup answer. So what's number one answer for cervical? (laughs) Breathing. What's number two answer for cervical? arm and hand function however letter F what did I change in the question location I changed it from cervical to thoracic and when I changed location I changed the answer it is no longer breathing and arms and hands for a thoracic the most important assessment is the cough and the bowels. Cough mechanism and bowels. Cough and bowels. So what would be the most important thing to assess before a thoracic surgery? How well the patient coughs. Not so much get, but how they cough. So what I want you to do is this. I want to illustrate how this is. Your thoracic spinal cord innervates your abdominal muscles and your gut muscles. So what I want to do is give... I want you to do this. I want you to put your hand on your abdomen, on your abdominal muscles. I want you to cover your mouth. And I want you... On my signal, I want you to cough. And when you cough, I want you to feel what happens here underneath your hand. Okay, ready? Cough. How many felt the contraction? Great. Okay, now... I'm going to give all of you a thoracic spinal cord injury. Okay. (laughs) Okay, you got it. So now you can no longer contract what?
1: Your abdominal muscles.
0: So relax them. Relax them. You're paralyzed. There. You cannot contract those muscles. You're paralyzed. Okay. Now, put your hand on your abdomen. They're paralyzed. Cover your mouth. And this time on my signal, I want you to cough. But don't you dare contract these muscles because you're not allowed to because you're paralyzed there. Okay, ready? Cough. Wow, some of you actually got a good cough out. Usually that's impossible. So we have to. Do you understand? So, in order to cough, what do you have to be able to do? Contract these muscles. And if you can't contract these muscles, you cannot cough. You can go. But you can't cough. Can you breathe? You can breathe, but you cannot cough. So, what assessments do you have to make for a thoracic? Coughing and bowel sounds, right? All right, but what about G? What did I change in G? The location. When I change the location, I change the answer. The lumbar innervates the bladder and the legs. Bladder and legs. So what's the most important assessment before lumbar laminectomy? Yeah, when was the last time they voided? Is their bladder distended? Or is it empty? You need to know that before surgery. And then if that's not there, what's the backup answer? Function of arms and legs. So that's important, knowing that. So cervical is what? Cervical is... Breathing and arms. Thoracic is coughing and bowel. Lumbar is bladder and legs. Okay, let's turn the page and talk about post op laminectomy. The number one post op answer on NFLEX for laminectomy is log roll. If you have a question that says log roll your patient and it has anything to do with spinal cord, including laminate, what's your top answer? Log roll. roll. You always pick log roll if it's there. You cannot go wrong by picking log roll. Now, in addition to knowing that, there are three other things you need to know about mobilizing clients after spinal surgery. Number one, do not dangle these people. Do not dangle them. Now, dangle does not mean to hold them by their ankles out the window. What does dangle mean? Sit on the edge of the bed, which is what we do for everybody. Isn't that the first thing we do for all post-ops? Dangle them. What am I telling you about these people? Don't do that. Go from lying down immediately to what? Walking around. None of this dangle business. Now, can they sit on the edge of the bed long enough to overcome orthostatic hypotension? Sure, but they shouldn't sit there for 10, 15 minutes dangling. Yes? So, will it be specified
1: as like feet flat on ground sitting on edge of bed?
0: Sitting on edge of bed with feet flat on ground is not appropriate for a fresh post-op laminectomy. If they say... Sitting at the side of the bed long enough to overcome orthostatic hypotension, then it's okay for a lamb But if they say sitting with the feet on the ground, sitting with the feet not on the ground, dangling, none of that for a lamb. Sitting is a horrible position for a lamb. Okay, number two restriction. Do not sit for longer than 30 minutes. They're not allowed to sit for longer than 30 minutes. (coughs) So what kind of typical post-op order would you question with a laminectomy? What typical post-op order would you question with a laminectomy? Up in chair, Up and chair. Up and chair. For, meal. for one hour, TID. Isn't that real common? Up in chair for two hours, TID. Real common. Up in chair for meals is really not bad. So how long does a meal usually last? About a half hour. So that's not bad, Because they would say up in chair for meals is good because you're only up for a half hour. So they'd say that's okay. Third thing. They may walk, stand, and lie down without restrictions. They may walk, <coughs> stand, and lie down without restriction. So there's only a restriction on what position? sit Sitting. All the OSHA studies since 1970s have proven what is the one hospital worker position, de- designation, that has the highest incidence of back injuries. What, what worker in the hospital has the highest risk of back injuries? Not nurses. Not nurse aides. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. admitting clerks because what do they do all day? Mm-hmm. sit and that's worse than lifting and slugging 200 pounders in the bed it's worse for you, it's terrible so sitting is boring position for your back okay, um, let's talk about post-op complications what will the post-op complications depend on? Location. So, what would be the number one post-op complication after a cervical laminectomy? But breathing is not a complication. It's a good thing. They won't breathe very well and very deeply after surgery. They will have trouble breathing deeply after surgery. What will develop?
1: Pneumonia.
0: Yes, pneumonia is the number one complication. Why? Because they don't breathe so well. Why? Because it's a cervical. And cervicals don't breathe so well after the surgery. Because that's the location that hits the lungs. Okay, well, what if they change it to a thoracic? The post op complication after thoracic. What would it be? Well, what, what won't they do so well? Cough. So, what will they get then? Pneumonia. Pneumonia. And they'll have an. Ilius because their valves won't work. But what's the number one problem after a lumbar laminectomy? Urinary Urinary retention, followed by problems with the legs. Do you see where they can trick you, and they can say? A person underwent a lumbar laminectomy 10 hours ago. What's the number one problem? A, airway. B, breathing. C, circulation. D, urinary retention. What would be the answer? Urinary Urinary retention. Because they don't have A and B and C problems because it doesn't affect them. You see? So that's not what they would do. Let me ask you this. You are caring for a patient with a lumbar oligodendrogliocytoma. What is the number one problem? A. Airway B. Ileus C. Cardiac Arrhythmia. D. Urinary retention. What would be the answer? D. D. Because it's a what? Lumbar. And it doesn't matter what it is. You don't have to even know what this is. This does not determine your answer. What determines your answer? Location does. So all you have to do is if you know that cervical is breathing and arms thoracic is cough and bowels and lumbar is bladder and legs you you got the whole thing because all you have to do is look at the location because the pathology doesn't matter could I put a lumbar abscess and wouldn't it be the same thing lumbar surgery, same thing lumbar spinal cord injury, same thing lumbar ependymoma same thing so what determines pathology in neuro location which makes it actually easier okay okay next thing typically we don't have chest tubes with laminectomies but the anterior thoracic will have chest tubes letter c letter c the anterior thoracic will have chest tubes what does anterior thoracic mean Anterior. From the front through the chest. Thor- chest, you go to the spine. Well, if you go, if you get to the spine through the front of the thorax, you're gonna have a pneumohemothorax and need chest tubes, right? Okay. Number five, laminectomy with fusion. And the key word here is with fusion. That means they take a bone graft bone graft from the iliac crest. So laminectomy with fusion involves taking a bone graft from the iliac crest. Here's what they do with this one. Here's your vertebrae. Here's your vertebrae. Here's your disc. If they take the disc out, you cannot have bone on bone. So they have to take some bone from your hip Bring it over here, put it in between these, and fuse it so that you don't have that grinding. So this is a laminectomy with fusion. Not all laminectomies have fusion. Most laminectomies don't. In most laminectomies, all you're taking off is this wing thing out the back, and you're not messing with the disc. But if you remove the disc, then you've got to do a fusion. And you've got to get bone from somewhere. And one place we get it is from the patient's own hip. So you ha- if you have a bo- uh, sp- uh, laminectomy with fusion, how many incisions will the patient have? Two. One where? Hip and one on the spine. So turn the page. Of those two incisions, which one will have the most pain? The hip will. believe me. That hurts. Which one has the most bleeding and drainage? The hip. That's where the hemovac will be. That's where the JP will be. Which one has the highest risk for infection? Actually, they're equal. They have a 50 50 chance of infection. And which one has the highest risk for rejection? The spine. So, if you look at the two incisions post-operatively, which one causes the most problems? Which one causes the most problems? The hip does. So, surgeons are are wanting to get rid of that hip incision. Why do surgeons want to get rid of that hip incision? Because it's shorter recovery, a lot better, no problems, cuts the infection rate in half, decreases the drainage by 80%, decreases the pain by 80% lot better all the way around hospitals love it because they get money for shorter stay, they make more profit that's why here it says surgeons are using cadaver bone from bone banks why? yeah because if you if they're going to cut this disc out they can take bone from a dead person put it in between your your bones and fuse it and there's not that second incision so they use that quite a bit. There is a slight increased risk of rejection, but not that bad because bone is not protein, and protein is what triggers the antigen antibody response, the immune response. Nowadays, they're even moving away from cadaver bone to guess what? Synthetic bonding substances that we, we are developing in the lab. But that's not on boards yet. Okay, discharge teaching. Is this important? Oh, yeah. Discharge teaching, very, very important. There are four permanent, I mean, four temporary restrictions and three permanent ones after laminectomies. The first temporary, do not sit for longer than 30 minutes. How long do you think that restriction applies? How many weeks? Six weeks. If you have to guess how long something should be restricted and you do not know, you should always pick six weeks because that will pay off for you. If you know how long to restrict it, then pick that. But if you don't, pick six weeks. You'll be surprised at how well that pays off. Number two, lie flat and log roll for six weeks. Now, that doesn't mean you have to actually do it for six weeks continuously. That just means when you do turn, log roll and do lifeline for that six-week period of time. Number two, no driving for six weeks. And do not lift more than five pounds for six weeks. And how heavy is it? What common household object is about five pounds? A gallon of milk. I know a, a, a lady that had back surgery, laminectomy, when her infant was like nine months old. And that was disaster. Why? She couldn't pick him up. And what does a nine-month-old always want? Picked up. That kid learned to walk real fast. I mean, that kid was walking in ten months. I like, go, whoa! Well, at, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, you know. So that kid really learned. Um permanent restrictions. Laminectomy patients will never be allowed to lift objects by bending at the waist. How should they lift objects? Lift with the knees. Well, everybody should be that way. Right? Should anybody do this? You should all do it with your knees. That way you get bilateral knee replacements instead of a laminectomy. (laughs) Second thing cervical lambs cervical lambs are not allowed to lift anything over their head. Nothing goes over your head with a cervical lamb for the rest of your life. So can a cervical lamb do this? This? Yes. That? No, not even with a feather. So they need step stools in their house. And then no off-trail biking, jerky amusement park rides, or horseback riding for obvious reasons. You know, the percussion stuff. So that's laminectomy. But understand, this lecture on laminectomy can be used to get any spinal cord questions correct. Correct? Is that true? Because you're going to pay attention to what? Location. And that's where it's going to pay off. Okay, tomorrow for the last day, and I think... Let me see. We covered 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. We did 18 already, and we have 1, 2, 8 to go, right? Is it 8 to go? And we did probably 10 today, so we have less to do tomorrow than we did today. So we'll see you tomorrow. And we've not even been together for be- more than 24 hours. That's amazing.
1: Anyway. I know. I know. I know. And, and that, that's why but this is what the books...
0: So you have to go with what the book says. And this is book stuff. There is
1: usually um Ilias because of popping and
0: bounce. The thoracic is always about popping and bounce. <laughs>
1: right. nice. and
0: the of the yes, and that's yeah, number two. So, yeah. so tie this to this. No, yeah. 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 Sort of built on it, but not built on it. Yeah. This was about availability, more piaget whereas. Because Erickson is psychosocial development. Toys are a lot more cognitive. So your ability to play a game a choice of choice or your, your cognitive development, development than your psychological development. So
1: you that stuff yes,
0: that blue, book is, that blue book is so essential. I can't express it enough. But that blue book is learning the stuff that only you can do. I can't learn it for you. You just have to put it in the mind. Somewhere. And I, I know a lot of people are just but you know, it's that's the way it goes. If you put in the time, it'll pay off. thank okay.
1: mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. and pneumonia, pulpy and mouth, urinary and leg problems, and then pneumonia. Sure, we'll watch for pneumonia. <coughs> Oh, but anyway, we can always recheck. Yeah.